to the 61st episode of the Free Pizza Podcast. Today's guest is Matthew Garber, a mastering engineer from Charleston, South Carolina. Enjoy. All right, Matthew. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so for the folks at home, we don't do a lot of, uh, you know, music and audio engineering type things. Um, can you, can you kind of tell us about your job title and sort of what you do in a broad spectrum? And then we'll dive in a little deeper later. Sure. So my name is Matthew Garber. I am in Charleston, South Carolina. I run a business, uh, mastering business called, uh, for the record mastering. And I am a mastering engineer and I absolutely love what I do. Is that yeah. good? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's that's going to be on your bio page one day, right? Perfect. I mean, the whole thing is you're like, hey, send me like uh, a portrait photo. It's either going to be like a selfie or just like, I was looking like, what's the most ridiculous picture I can send? <laughs> and I have something of like me coming back into the United States and they take your picture and you show it to customs and everything. And it's all grainy and black and white. And I was like, and it says like U.S. Border Patrol on it. And I was like, I'm totally going to send this. <laughs> Well, that, so yeah, that's, that messed up picture. Yeah, that's exactly what people are going to see, especially when they go and uh, look at it on the website. And you know, never take yourself too seriously. Yeah, I, that's that's a good rule. I must rule. get out alive. Absolutely. Well, yeah, man. Um, very excited about the episode. Tell me a little bit uh, about your background and kind of how you found mastering. Um, kind of a background on myself. Um, being as humble as I can. If I had to give myself an occupation title, I would say serial entrepreneur. Okay. Um, from the age of nine until I was 18, I had a landscaping business, uh, unlicensed in the state of South Carolina. And uh, it was fantastic. I mean, as a little kid, I was pulling in more than I was when I started my job. That's insane. Like, I, yeah, I had no idea about that. I was making like over 800 bucks in a weekend in like two days i had between 13 and 17 lawns i would cut in a weekend and it wasn't like quick like zipping in and out it was like you get the edging the weed whacking like everything like i'm i'm taking my time on your lawn coming into the spring it's like we're gonna do some pre-emergent like right before it gets warm making sure you're not gonna have weeds we can take core samples and do fertilizer treatments and stuff like that per your soil oh my like, god <laughs> i went all out yeah so so what you're saying is even when you were younger and a teenager you didn't take anything lightly you just went Dude, I all had out no i had no friends like <laughs> so i did that and that financed a hobby of mine which was flying i don't know how i got into that um, I was a pilot for a while, just private pilot, uh -huh. uh, had just under 250 hours, um, went to college at the Citadel, which is a military college in Charleston from like the 1800s, uh, kind of started a flying club and everything else there. Yeah. I've never really worked for anybody else. When I got out of college it was the height of the recession. I always feel like I'm complaining a lot when I say that. And it was 2011, height of the recession. There were zero people hiring. And uh, I started working for a cigar store, and I worked for them for about eight weeks. And then they said, hey, we have a closed store that's down in Hilton Head. 
would you want to go down there and open it up? And that was the only time I'd really ever worked for anybody else. And I said, sure, why not? So and prior to that, I had brought them essentially a business plan of how they could expand their business into the state along with sales figures. And as like, at this point, I, it was kind of ballsy kind of thinking about it. Like I figured out like a way that they could gross a quarter million dollars in outside sales without selling online and brought the business plan to them and said, Hey, you can do this. And then that's when they offered me the store. And so, but that's what I do. It's like, I like those ideas and I like generating businesses. And so it's like, it's a, interesting passion of mine sam and i actually were just talking about it yeah and uh and then worked down there for a while about five years met my wife i got into music down there um i guess she was my soon-to-be wife and then we uh moved to charleston my dad and i actually started the business i wasn't really having it with the cigar store anymore yeah just because like the main partners over all the franchise they weren't really willing to do what the market demanded of it. And it's kind of like the whole thing. They're like, hey, we're going to do digital marketing. And then I reply back, okay, well, you put a store in a place where the median age is between 60 and 80. Yeah. And these people rely on print media. So what are we going to do in an era in print media when you're not allowed to post about tobacco in print media? So you want to talk about like, marketing challenges and like getting creative and stuff. So, um, and they weren't willing to like invest into the growth of the store and everything. And yeah, I I was essentially just saying like, this is what you need to do to survive. If you don't want to survive, then good luck. And we parted ways. Uh, and I was talking to my dad who had been an electrical engineer for 30 years. Um, and, he was a director of engineers for a company called Quizelle and before that Kitchler. Uh, they make residential and outdoor fixtures and whatnot. Okay. Two major players. If you've ever been into a hardware store or really any house, like there are those fixtures in there or somewhere in that community. Um, so I would work for them in the summers and stuff like that whenever I wasn't cutting grass uh, when I was in college. And I eventually said to my dad, I was like, you know, you have 30 years in this job. It's like international business and everything. Like he went he, when I was growing up, he would go to China for like five about five times a year for like three weeks at a time. Wow. Okay. Um, to do all this, so I said, "You have all this international business experience. It'd be really like it'd be a shame if like not to be morbid, but like if that was not passed on, you know." And it's like I'm just in this consumption mode, and so him and I actually started this business. It was called Emery Allen. Okay. It's originally Emory LED, and we essentially uh, took those very hot halogen light bulbs that like burn at 400 degrees and can melt your skin off. Yeah. Um, and they're stupid. Yeah, they're stupid hot. They heat up a room, and we essentially created an LED re- retrofit replacement for that light bulb. Um, so instead really? of burning 60 watts, you're burning maybe four. And so you're saving like tons of money annually on this. Um, and the LED market was pretty hopping. And that's actually my nine to five now. It was first called Emory LED. Now it's called Emory Allen. Um, it was a combination of my middle name and his middle name. Mine's yeah. Matthew Garber. His was Thomas Allen Garber. And I was just thought it'd be cool to have an engineering design firm with my dad. Um, and so we did that. And in three years, it's grown to a pretty 
sizable business and we're both really proud of it. And we do all of our manufacturing overseas and a lot of people are like, oh, well, you have cheap Chinese junk. And it's like, actually, <laughs> the best engineering in the whole industry. We have our engineering team, our physics team, our manufacturing team, and our assembly team all over there. And then we're designing it specifically for the U.S. market. So it's like you can say we're buying cheap Chinese stuff, but we're also like we're we're making it. And it's not by any means cheap. I promise you that. Like everyone's looking to us and like what to do. And I'm not like I promise you I'm not being boastful. Um, there's technology that uh, will be all over the whole. It'll be a requirement standard of the whole United States by in, in, by or around 2020 that every light bulb has to conform to a certain policy. And we are currently the only manufacturer of these type of light bulbs that do that. So there's a, someone yeah. else needs to do it so we don't get slammed with like a monopoly thing. Um, so we're currently the only people who are able to do it. And there's like 6,000 hours of testing that needs to go into it. So that's my nine to five. Um, and then my, my six to whatever is mastering. Uh -huh. And that's, uh, that was, a. Uh, a business called B-Side Mastering, which I hated the name. Uh, I just made it because a band needed it for a credit uh, that I had done for them. And I, I don't really care about names that much. Yeah. But it's like branding is important. So I ended up changing. I wanted something kind of witty and something that really uh, embodied what I love to do. And every time that I say anything about mastering and like, what is it? it's always like the first thing you do is you listen and you listen to the client's intention and you like have a dialogue and you essentially are uh, creating or finishing, putting the final polish on what the client like essentially had in their head, like as the dream for what this project was to become. Um, and you are the last creative step and the first step in distribution is the textbook definition. Um, but um, so I came up with the name for the record, which I thought of it as a funny play on words. But also I am doing this like for the music. And that's what it's about. It's, it's about the music, not the ego or anything else behind it. And whenever you hire me to do any audio mastering for you, it is 100 percent like for your record. It is not about my ego, my studio, my anything. And I want to try to promote whatever you and uh, whoever is doing as much as I can and love into that. So I do that along with having a family. So <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was about to say, I know, and, and you have a, a very fresh kid, a wife, nine to five. So this is definitely, uh, you really have, don't like your plate being empty, do you? I have an absolutely gorgeous wife who is quite possibly the most selfless human I have ever met. Um, I also have a almost 16 month year old little boy who like, like I, I, I tell like people are like, well, so what's it like having kids? And cause my wife and I didn't want kids and then we got married and then it's like, Hey, we're pregnant. Funny how that happened. <laughs> and it's like, actually not that hard. It's like, they're like, yeah, congratulations on the kid. It's like, yeah, it was my pleasure. Um, <laughs> so we, um, when people ask me, like, what's it like having a kid? And I said, fathom the most joy you've ever had in your life and completely know that 
that amount of joy will be completely and 100% surpassed by the joy that you will have by having a kid. And there are times when it sucks and when like they've like thrown up on you because their molars are coming in and they're trying to like massage their gums with their hands, but it's so far back that they hit their gag reflex and they throw oh, up their dip. Yeah. And so they smell like puke. You smell like a, like puke, their diapers full and you like go to change the diaper and then they like fart poop at you. And it's like, <laughs> and so like, it's crazy. It's crazy. And my wife is an absolute saint, quite possibly the best like demonstration of a godly mother I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and I could not be more thankful for her. She's also an entrepreneur, and I do not know how she does it. You think my plate's full. Like, anyone who listens to this podcast who is a mom, my, my hat is completely off for you. Um, and you have my utmost respect. Um, but yeah, my plate is rarely empty. I don't like it being empty. I, I, I don't know why, but I, I, love, I love the work. I love the process. Um, it's, it's, I, I always quote Gary Vaynerchuk, but he has a quote, um, that people's, he is quoting people. He's like, people are saying about me that, uh, I eat shit so I can eat caviar. I eat shit now so I can eat caviar later. And <laughs> he, and he's like, people quote me when I say that he's like, but you don't understand your shit is my caviar. You have to love the process and you have to enjoy the process. And me at my heart, I'm a builder. And I love building and I suck at maintaining. And it's like, I'm always looking for the next thing to build. And I'm very surprised I've been in mastering as long as I have. And it must be that each project is so new that it is so entertaining and so loving for me to do it. Even like the stuff I don't want to do. It's like, I find joy in it because it's like, it's been a labor of emotional love for somebody. Um, or maybe it's been difficult. Like maybe the songs are really difficult for someone. And, um, I mean, maybe it's really, really hard, but you have to find that emotion in it and be able to bring that out through the creativity of it. And yeah. maybe it's to the point to where you're, you have to be a mature enough engineer to where you're like, I'm just going to leave this alone. Um, so, yeah, my plate's not really full. I think that was question one. Where <laughs> 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 we are into this. Yeah, yeah. So um, let, let's dive back a little bit. Um, I know you said specifically when you moved to Hilton Head, that's kind of when you got music. Um, can you talk a little more more about like you know those early years in music? Did you play any instruments growing up or anything? Uh, I played piano because my mom and grandma liked it, and then <laughs> I didn't, and I didn't really learn much chord structure or anything. I can play the theme song from the horror movie Halloween really well, and that's awesome. about all I know. Yeah, it really comes in handy like once a year, so that's good. This is a cool party trick, right? That's it. I'm a, a one one trick pony. And then uh, in college, I would steal my roommate's guitar and I would just like try to learn songs and stuff like that. Just kind of out of boredom. It was a military college. All do well, most dudes, not a lot of stuff to do. Yeah. And um, that kind of got me into it. And then when I moved to Hilton Head, uh, I was going to this church. And we created a small group and this producer who had just moved from Nashville, who is the worship pastor for this church, um, he was in our small group and he's like, like we were asking like, Hey, does anyone need any prayer requests or anything? And he was like, he's like, yeah, he's like, I need to go back to Nashville. I have to go get, I have to like essentially pack up my studio and bring it here. And I'm thinking about asking some of the band members or something, if they want to like help me bring it back, but they're kind of flaky and, 
Um, I just like re- I had no idea who this guy was, by the way. Yeah. But uh, I said, I said, well, if they don't want to go, um, I'll go with you. And he's like, sweet man. And so his name was Kevin Brushert. He ran a studio called Viking Studios. Okay. Um, and he is a very good friend of mine, very close friend of mine. He, um, yeah, he was like Dove and Grammy nominated uh, producer. And that's awesome. Just, yeah, he he was in New York for a while, and he was in um, uh, Nashville for a couple of years, and he moved to Hilton Head, and he's actually just moving to Florida right now. Interesting fact about him: I was on the phone with him for about an hour, and he apparently was at Nymac College, which is a Christian college. The same time, a lot of people don't believe this, but Wikipedia, the guy who I guess plays Father John Misty, Josh Tillman, yeah. was also at Nymac. And Josh dropped out a little bit before Kevin left, but they both lived in Batavia, New York, in the same house. And they actually tracked an album together. Um, and I'm not going to say much more about it because I know like lawyers get involved if I say much more about it. Yeah, They track an album that wasn't weird enough and Josh never let it come out. Um, but yeah, I was like, so you lived with the guy who's now Father John Misty for six months. He's like, yeah, we lived in this house. I've stayed in the house before on tour. <laughs> and, that's insane yeah and i was like man i'd uh i used to have this girlfriend who said uh thank god it's this or i'd always say thank god it's a small world and she'd always respond with yeah uh, thank god it's wide <laughs> <laughs> i was like that's not passive aggressive um so yeah in hilton head i kind of got on to uh helping with some engineering for some of kevin's projects uh, after we'd like done this Nashville trip and everything. And, uh, we were talking on this drive, we were driving this big old yellow Penske truck and like my door handle, like I went to close it one time and the whole inside of the door pretty much exploded into pieces. And we're like, how do we get this to fit back? So you don't, so you get your deposit back. And, uh, we were talking and I said, so how do you think everything sounds at church? Uh, sound wise. He's like, I think it sounds good. How do you, how about you? And I said, you know, I think it, it was like, I, I essentially said what I think could be better. And he's like, well, do you think you could do a better job? And I said, well, I certainly can't do worse. And he said, do you have any experience running a soundboard? And I said, I have no idea what any of that means. Um, and so he essentially would kind of teach me how to do things, what gain structure looked like, equalization, compression, limiting. And by teaching, I mean, he spoke over my head a lot. And he, even to this day, he still talks over my head. But whatever he does, I would go online or whatever it is, and I would look it up. I'd look up what an equalizer is, what like parametric equalization is, what like attack and release time constants are, high yeah. pass filtering, compression, etc. I'd look all those up and figure out what that means and how it affects a signal path. And uh, so I essentially, I think the self-taught word is autodidactically taught, okay. and essentially means you taught yourself. Um, so we did that and then uh, kind of grew up on board, started on a little pre-Sonus, went to the natural church progression, which people then go to an X, Behringer X32. And then... Uh, <laughs> yep. Very I, familiar with that board. Yeah, I'm very familiar as well. And then went to, I guess, a natural progression because Midas owns Behringer. Is now I'm on a uh, Pro 2, which Midas has. And they have some of the most insane sounding pre's I've ever heard. Um, and then that church is about to upgrade their board. So 
I essentially did that for about five years and then uh, through engineering some stuff and for Kevin's albums and whatnot, he's like, you know, with how like technically minded you are, you might make a good mastering engineer. And I did not want to produce at all. I have no interest in listening to somebody who didn't practice their guitar part, try, try to get it down in like the first 20 takes. And yeah. it's like, there's, there's stories. I think it's on the documentary sound city that Tom Petty's refugee took 87 takes to get right. Oh my God. Because, because they're all doing it to tape. Yeah. So everything has to be right. Um, so it took like 80 something takes to get right. Um, so I have no patience for that, but I can listen to a finalized mix hundreds of times. <laughs> that that's completely fine. Yeah. But to listen to somebody nail a guitar part that they didn't practice is not really in my pay grade. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it, and then I started researching what all a mastering engineer needs. Started acquiring basic gear, and in all honesty, did what anybody who wants to get into this should do: you start listening. And it, like it literally comes from a love of music. Yeah, and, I mean, that's such a crucial, crucial piece of advice. Yeah, and like essentially loving how music makes you feel as like a human, and like investing into like what emotions you get from listening to music and why you get that, and then developing a reference list so you know these ten songs and how they sound in any environment. So you can always go into an environment and say. Uh, this room is different in how, and essentially you know that because you know how it sounds in every other environment besides that room. Yeah. So it's like I just reset up my room because I got a new desk, and so I just pulled out my reference tracks, and I said, something sounding phasey, it's more than likely from this. I think we need to adjust this, and then let's like set up an RTA mic and shoot, like like get like an image of what the room looks like sonically on a graph. And we can phase align the room so that everything is all good. And I don't know. I might be getting like super technical into it, but no, I mean, uh, that's fine. I think that's one of those important things where um, that actually kind of dives into the next question that I was going to ask you. Um, so I don't know if you want to go more into it. It's, it's more so of like, what, what does mastering mean to you? Like when you, if you had to explain almost layman's terms as far as like what a mastering engineer does, how would you do that? Um, so I would say that the coolest part of mastering and what it means to me is essentially like, say that you have an album that is full of 10 songs. And I actually, I, I just mastered something for, for a band called Electrolust. It's like a super 80s band. I don't even think they've released it yet. Um, but they're... I try to invest as much as I can into that band. And I was like, yo, let's like hop on FaceTime or whatever for like 45 minutes so you can know me i can know you and i can find out where your heart is and with that i can run down the track list and we can confirm things but i can also see like it's like hey what do you think about this song and he's like yeah that one kind of came from like a really weird part of life and it's like okay i know to not put a happy vibe on this because in mastering i just i only deal with two tracks the left track and the right track yeah i don't have the drums, the bass, and all the like, I don't have that. Like, I don't stem master. Stem mastering is where you receive all of that, and then you have the mastering engineer compile that, which, um, I'm sorry if you do this or anybody who listens does this, but I think that's lazy mixing. 
And at that point, I think you should actually hire a mixing engineer. And I think that would actually better serve your music than a mastering engineer because mastering engineers are mix engineers. Um, or classically, they are not. Um, but I, I'm essentially finalizing the culmination of like what these past three years of creating this album has meant to this band. And I'm like able to essentially close a chapter and they're like, able to distribute it however they want if they want to press it to vinyl do whatever i can do all that and i can arrange all of that and i can i am the last creative step and the first step in distribution and i tell them i was like hey if you need anything at all up until this puppy is pressed onto vinyl cd whatever like i'm your man my phone is always on for you and like anything you need let me know yeah and I had a guy give me a call like super late at night and he was panicking and stuff like that. He's like, Hey, such and such isn't working and everything. It turned out to be something on his end. Um, but it's like, I like my wife and everything and little guy was asleep. And so I just drove in and I was like, yo, let's fix this and let's just like get this right. And I just reprinted everything and sent it to him and he must've hit something different. And he's like, yeah, that, that works perfect. Sweet. And he's like, thanks. Um, he also had like a distribution problem with, uh, um, like the, the CD manufacturer sent him CDs and like from track eight to 13 was like all this digital noise. And really? I looked okay. at my digital version of the CD cause I print out something called a DDP, which essentially is manufactured into the CD. And, um, like that is all the spacing, like any CD text any codes that might track the album. Um, if you're going to have a gold album, then your plays are tracked through the ISRC codes, which I embed into uh, your album and each, each specific song. So if you're going to have a gold album, then that's how that's going to get tracked in those plays. So uh, I went and I reviewed the file and I was like, this is not correct. So I essentially coached him how to talk to the CD manufacturer. And I said, I'm a very nice dude, but if you start messing and screwing over people who I really care about, I become a bit of a bulldog. Yeah. And I'm going to fight for my client because it's like, dude, I know everything they're going through. And they got like a lot on the line. He already announced his release date and everything. And this was two days before his release date. And I told him, I was like, dude, either you call them or I'll call them. And I'm going to say, you F this up. You need to fix this, and I expect it to be air freighted by tomorrow morning. And he's like, you think they can do 500 CDs? I'm like, I'm sure they do 5,000 CDs a day, if not more. Well, more like, importantly, that, that was, you know, that that's one of those things where, like, in the, I guess, step in the chain or whatever, that's their fault. So it's, it's more important that they figure it out. Completely. And they didn't have anybody review the tracks or anything else. It's a QC issue. Um, so it was a complete lapse in quality control. And I don't like my clients being taken advantage of. So I'm going to fight for them and I'm going to go to bat for them and I'm going to make sure that stuff is all set. And, uh, and everything, everything turned out to be okay. And, uh, they actually still kind of screwed him and he ended up printing his own CDs for the release. They ended up sending him FedEx ground. And I said, dude, they have the capability to send FedEx 8am next day air. Yeah. I, because I do it for clients for Emory Allen and it's like a job in Alaska, and I'm in South Carolina, and it gets there by 8 a.m. 
It is insane. Yeah, that is insane. The, the logistic chain is there. Is there? They like literally. They just upload a file to their thing, and then they just rerun stuff, and they just put the artwork on the CD, and they send it to you in reels, and then you just put it in all the artwork cases that you already have. I was yeah. like, that's what you need to do. And then, in my mind, they still screwed them because they sent it ground, and I would have gone back to them and said, I, I want half off. You sent me this and it wasn't by my deadline, which I told you about. Yeah. So I, I'm a, I'm a bulldog though. And some people are, some people are nice. Um, but, and I can only fight for you so much, but I'm going to most certainly fight for you. Uh, cause I care about you. And, and that, and no, honestly, that's what mastering is to me. It's like, I care about my client. I care about your end product because I know how much you've invested into it. And, like there's some type of pleasure in being able to say that like this piece of artwork is complete and it is done and it is finished. And at that point, like, and some people can't do that. Some people can't say it's complete. And like people will come back to me with all these revisions and I don't mind revisions. Sam and I talk about on the, on my podcast that uh-huh. visions are awesome. They're like a checklist to, it's essentially a cheat sheet to how to finish the project. And it's great. Once I have this done, I can wrap the project and move on to the next project. And they'll keep, and like some people will keep on coming back. And eventually I'll have to say at some point your art has to be like labeled as complete and you have to give it to the world. Nothing is ever like, like if it's not perfect now, when it sounds really good, it'll probably never be perfect. But at some point, for your sake, you have to close this chapter, and then you have to move on. Yeah, you have to go to the next step with the music. Otherwise, it's going to you know, stay in that in-progress state forever. It's like, what are you going to be? You're going to do like what Axl Rose did? And like he held up, like what is it, Chinese Democracy or whatever it was for 12 years? Yeah. He's trying to get like the right dolphin sound for a certain track. It's like, come on, dude. Like, it's, it's art. And at some point, you have to just let art be art. And you have to allow people, like in order for art to be art, it has to go beyond you because art can only be art once it's experienced. So like, does that make sense? You, you can't have art and it just kind of sit into you because it's, it's not really, it's art, but it's not really art because it's not being experienced. Whether it's a good or bad experience, it's art. It's yeah. like the whole, like people try to screw with like the, I find it hilarious. People put like, a little tiny like fake dog poop pile at like the museum of modern art, like the MMA, whatever they call it. Yeah. And where they put like, they put like glasses on the floor and like people kind of look at it, but they're trying to make a joke that like, Oh, these people will think that anything is art, but what they're not understanding and don't get me wrong. I find it hilarious. But what they're not understanding <laughs> is that by doing that, they're creating a conversation and they're creating, there is, they're soliciting an emotion and so through doing that, they're just making art because they're essentially creating a response to something that's going to evoke an emotion, which is art. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's like, as much as they're joking around, they're, they're adding art to it. So it's just, it's just, uh, it's just kind of funny. But that's kind of what mastering is to me, is being able to uh, help people complete something and find completeness and find wholeness and in all honesty be insanely proud of what they've done like yeah, which is awesome yeah and it's uh 
yeah, it is very fulfilling. I absolutely love it. And I mean, I would love to be able to do this full time one day. Yeah, absolutely. So going off of that, um, you know, I, I know we talked, uh, especially before we started recording the podcast and everything, so station, but um, tell me what it means to you to be creative within like the mastering realm. Like, do you get any creative fulfillment when you master something? Um, so something I think I said off air, um, if you hear something, it sounds like peeing. I'm just pouring tea. I'm not peeing. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, there it is. Um, if, uh, okay. So, <laughs> so being creative and mastering, and I think I said this off air, like I said, um, whenever you're like maturing as an adult, and I will say that I am very far from being mature. Um, sometimes a testimony of the maturity is not what you're able to say, but what you do not say, like what you refrain from saying. And so in mastering, if I have a project that is perfect, sometimes the mature thing for the mastering engineer to do is to literally say, this is fantastic and perfect. Here's my seal of approval. And even interviewing some mastering engineers, they're like, I might have one or two of those my whole career. So it's not often that that happens. So don't think you're going to submit something to a mastering engineer and it's that that's what they're doing and they're doing nothing. I mean, even running it passively through gear is a creative decision. So it's like if I have a piece of gear and... I kind of like how it's edgy when I turn it on when it's cold and before it gets warm. It's really weird, but it's like if I want something to be a little bit more edgy, I can run it through an anal a cold analog piece of gear as it warms up, and it'll be edgy. Yeah. And it's like if I'm running it through tubes that aren't yet warm, I'm going to have like a really bizarre distortion, perhaps, to it. Not always. Um, but when it's warm... I'm going to invoke a different characteristic to it. And I can add whatever that piece of gear does, or I can just run it through something. Um, so I, I think, I don't know, but like also like being like creative and kind of touching on what I was saying, like, what does it mean to like being creative, like with mastering uh -huh. and kind of tying into like, what does mastering mean to me? <laughs> My favorite part is, and I, this is like one of my philosophy classes in college. Um, I can't remember who said it, but essentially he says, and I'm not calling myself an altruist by any stretch of the imagination, but this is the <laughs> example I like to use. Yeah. Is that an altruist is, hap is most happy when the poorest man rose with golden oars. And I think that's what I want. And I want that for my client is I want like every client to leave, like they feel like a million bucks. And I want like, and something that a mastering engineer, like mastering engineers don't necessarily, or they shouldn't really like be connecting with the artist, which like in terms of like reaching out to the artist. And I do that, uh, in order to get business and whatnot. And Sam does that. And we talk about that on our podcast, uh -huh. but it's, uh, like we'll more reach out to like producers and mix engineers because we're the next step after them. And so like we'll make, 
and I, I, I even I even got this compliment today. Uh, I had I, I wrapped a mix today, and um, let's see if I can find it in my texts. Um, <laughs> uh, he said, "Master sounds great, man. I appreciate it." I was like, "Thank you, sir. I love what I do." And then he passed me on to another ma- another engineer uh, who might pass me reoccurring work. And I said, I appreciate you passing me along. I believe I owe you many beers at this point. He said, don't even worry about it. I appreciate you make. I appreciate you making my shit sound so good. And I said, okay, maybe light beer then. So, <laughs> um, but I mean, I mean, that's it. And it's like you're essentially making like th- this community that you have through what you're able to do is you're making everybody else sound good, and they're going to be like, they're not going to show their mixes off. They're going to show the master off. Because that's what they did. They didn't master it, but I mean, they were the producer over it. And even the mix engineer, they're not going to show the mix off. They're going to show the, they're going to show the final product. product. Yeah. The polished, you know, everything's done at this point. That's it. And it like really glues the whole album together and really uh, like creates a cohesive operating unit. Um, Like you're making something that's kind of sexy. So, that's what I love. I love when like mix engineers and producers are super proud of what they've made. And like at a show, if that producer just so happens to also be the front of house person, think of how excited he is to mix that show and be like, I can't wait till people hear what like has been going on for the past however many months. Yeah. I mean, that's what I mean by like when like, like even the lowest man of the totem pole, when that person rose with golden oars, like rose their boat with gold nors. That is like, that is my happiest moment, and that's why I do what I do. I'm not an altruist, but <laughs> that's what I would say. I love doing and like where my heart is about the creativity of all of this. Yeah. No, I love that. I, I think it it all makes sense, and you know, like uh, not to you know interject my own philosophy or wisdom or anything in the, in the podcast but a, a dear friend of mine um many years ago uh shout out steven he he always told me like when you're looking for it doesn't matter who's in the process honestly it, it relates to anything especially in the creative field but when you're working with somebody and you're paying the money to do a job you want somebody that's going to fight for you Oh yeah. So you know when if you hire you know session musicians, you want them to really fight for the project. If you're you know hiring those engineers, the the mixing people, anybody that's going to master, you want somebody that's actually going to fight for it. So I thought that was so funny that you specifically said you want to fight for all your clients. Dude, seriously, and uh, my my mom always says this, and she said this when uh, my wife and I had our little guy. Um, I always find that weird when guys say, yeah, we had a baby. It's like, well, yeah, you have a baby, but your wife had the baby. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of, kind of odd. But when my wife was in the hospital, when we had Emery, or when Emery was born, um, my wife was like, she is such a bulldog. And she was not telling me about any of the pain that she had. And my mom said to me, you know, you have to fight for her, right? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's, she's like, because she has nobody else to fight for her. So if she's in pain, you need to figure that out and you need to, cause she had a C-section. Uh-huh. So it's like, you're literally cutting through, I think it's like four layers of material and then sewing that up. And you had a baby pulled out of there. 
so and then sewed back up and so like you could have weird bleeding or air pockets and all this like weird crazy stuff and you're hooked up to tubes and so it's you don't even know what's going on so my mom's like you need to make sure you're fighting for her and not that i'm like a negligent husband i just never gone through this before and so like that person in the hospital doesn't always know that like they can ask for something because they're in like a really weird situation. Well, you as a sober, sane person need to stand up for them and be like, I love you and I'm going to make sure you have the best care possible. Yeah. And I'm going to fight for you. And that like always stuck with me. And it's like, my clients deserve that kind of care. And my clients deserve someone who's willing to fight for them when some company starts like screwing them around. So, and it's like, I'm going to fight for you. Not like that, like you're a sick patient in a hospital, but that like, I'm willing, like I'm, I, I work in this arena and I'm familiar with, or know the players. And I know when a company's going to screw a band around because whatever's better for their bottom line or something like that. And it's like, no, this isn't about you. It was never about you. This is about you serving the music and you creating an end product. And if you don't deliver on that, then you need to rectify that. That's like, there, there is this thing for Emory Allen that this $400 shipment was lost. And they said, um, well, we can only insure it up to a hundred dollars. And I was like, says what? And they said, well, it says our shipping policy. And I was like, no, the shipping policy says that it'll get to the fricking door. Yeah. The insurance is for if your truck gets hit by a train and the boxes are scattered everywhere, you'll cover the insurance of the items. Like I paid, probably $20 to have that package shipped to Utah from South Carolina. Yeah. And I'm paying you to do that service and you didn't do that service. And all you can say is, well, sorry, we only insure our stuff up to a hundred dollars. It's like, no, I paid you for a service and you didn't do it. Yeah. So if you're not going to do the service then, and it's like, I had this invoice I on a daily basis sent to FedEx. And I was like, you either lower my rates, I will inundate your inbox I will like go up like the whole freaking chain, but I'm going to annoy everybody I can until you write this wrong. And it's not that I wanted to win. It's just, you're screwing around a little guy and you screwed up. You're a fortune 500 company and you're not willing to admit that you did something wrong. And so it's like, luckily we could rectify it really quick because we run all of our shipments through Amex and Amex has an insurance policy on anything that you buy with them. So if you ship anything using an Amex card, you can you essentially have the whole value insured. That's awesome. Uh, don't, don't quote me on that. But and then we use all like the Amex points. Anyone who's like, oh, you don't read Dave Ramsey, it's like we'll use all the Amex <laughs> points to use like for Sky Miles for Delta, so that we can travel back and forth between overseas and stuff like that. So it's like it all comes full circle, so you don't have to spend. You don't have like a twelve thousand dollar nut whenever you're overseas for three weeks. Yeah. Um, so it all comes full circle, but it's like Amex ended up helping us out in the short term. And then we ended up getting like some insanely low rates with FedEx. Like, so it all ended up working out, but it's like, you need to fight for people and you need to fight for yourself because no one else is going to. And unless like, and even if like, like you have someone that like loves you, you need to go into the hot, like when you're going into the hospital, y'all need to have a discussion to be like, I might not always be in a situation to fight for myself. So this is like what I want. And I knew what the client wanted. They wanted their CVs on time. So we need to fight for these people because we love them and we want to take care of them. So that's where my heart is.
Yeah, no, and I love that analogy specifically too. And you know, I'm I'm not at all comparing uh, musicians to mothers because all mothers are saints. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, I know you respect that too. But um, no, I, I love the idea of your mom talking to you and telling you you need to fight for your wife because you guys weren't in that situation. And you know, when you think about it, a lot of bands and musicians that go for mastering, unless they've done it, a, you know, a couple times or something, they have no idea the process. Yeah. Like, like if you if you gave me a project and asked me to master it, I'd have absolutely no freaking clue. Yeah. You know, and I've been in mastering studios. I've seen people work. I still I have no idea what I'm doing because I don't have the expertise. So it's mm-hmm. it's always nice hearing you know somebody that does have that expertise saying that they need to fight for their clients. Well, and it's essentially like, and it it's it's it, it kind of comes down to that you just. If you don't know what's going on to a degree, you really just need to kind of have a level of trust. And don't get me wrong, not everybody does this, but it's just kind of where my heart is. And that like, if I tell you when you want to get a vinyl pressing and you're kind of strapped on the budget, like when you get to mastering 90% of the time, you're already out of money and out of time. Oh, absolutely. So I actually, like before anyone masters with me, they have to fill out a mastering checklist that says when you need the project by, and I used to have it be as a field that you could write anything in, and 90% of the time it said as soon as possible. And it's like, well, that's not really what I'm looking for. Like, when, 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 when are you releasing? And if you want a physical copy, then we need to measure back about at least two weeks for manufacturing. So that's actually your deadline. So I, I had to end up changing that to like a numerical date, like part of the. Uh, part of the form so that like yeah. they could actually tell me when they want to release by so we can figure out when we need to manufacture by and if you want to manufacture vinyl you're gonna need more than the two weeks and you need to like if i tell you hey it's gonna be fifty dollars extra for a test pressing and you're gonna want and just have the test pressing sent to me it's not because i want free vinyl it's because we want to make sure that when we press this like the, the vinyl manufacturing process, a lot of people don't know, is insanely barbaric. Like, if you watch it, it is beautifully barbaric. Yeah. Like, your record is cut onto a lathe with a with normally a sapphire stylus. And then, or if it's cut into plastic, it's done with a diamond stylus. And then that is, it's like on a super, like, malleable uh, at, lacquer acetate, which is kind of like, think of the consistency of, like, I don't know how a guy knows this. I guess I had a lot, like two sisters growing up, but think of the consistency of like semi-dry, like nail polish or like kind of tacky paint ish. Yeah. Not the tacky part, but just kind of like still malleable. Like if you were to push your fingernail into it, you'd leave a mark. So that is then sent to uh, the pressing plant, which the pressing plant will take it and they'll spray it a bunch of times and they'll clean it and they'll coat it with silver and then they will dunk it in an electroplating bath or they plate it with nickel and they may do that a handful of times and they keep washing it, plating it, and then they're able to build up a thickness to where they're able to peel it off. And that I'm pretty sure is called the mother. I don't quote me on this. Uh-huh. And then and so essentially you now have a record negative. So you can see the little tiny ridges. You can see the music. And so with that you then create your main stamper through a couple other processes, which is then put onto around a 10 ton press. You have your bottom and your A side and your B side, like on this press, this little hockey puck thing. Uh, it's called a biscuit. It's a bunch of PVC. I think it's called polyvinyl chloride is what 
the actual PVC stands for. Uh-huh. So you PVC hockey puck looking thing. They call a biscuit with your two labels on it. And then that stamper comes down and literally presses the music into this thing. And then it oozes out the side and that's trimmed and then it's cooled and then quality, tri- quality checked. So because of how archaic it is and how like, like how rudimentary the process is still, um, you really want to test pressing and, if you don't ask for the test pressing uh, and you ask for 500 stuff and some, if you ask for 500 records and something is messed up, pressing plants don't take refunds, no. especially if you had special colors or some glitter stuff mixed into the record. So if you don't check it to make sure that it's good before you have 500 of them, now you're stuck with 500 things that don't sound right or they have distortion on the high end, or maybe you have a super high, uh, like, bass hit whatever you want to call it that will end up popping the needle over like or stylus whatever you want to call it two grooves or or you can have something that's crazy that happened in cutting uh because everything's super malleable um you can actually have uh figure cutting from outside to in you can actually have um if you have a really heavy like kick or something like that, or like the band comes back in after like a down course or something like that, or pre-chorus, um, you can actually write that data into the next groove before the other groove has even been cut. And they, they essentially, because of this problem created computers that will, uh, read maybe a second ahead or half a second ahead. And so they know what's about to come. So they'll, they'll, move the stylus a little bit further ahead so they'll give a little bit of a berth for that massive like hit to happen so that it doesn't write into the groove that hasn't happened yet yeah so because in that case you can technically hear the hit before it happens so because you have you're dealing with malleable material so you can pull and push the material because you're using a very like archaic process people like oh yeah you take the thing and you put it on the thing and it spins and makes music it's like no you if you take a dixie cup and you stick a needle through it and then you spin a record you can hear music it's very barbaric barbaric on how it actually works and it is incredibly beautiful um but it's like if you don't have a test pressing of things and you have an error like that in the record you're stuck with all these and you have nobody to fight for you so you have to have somebody who knows the players and know how this works. And if I say, hey, let's do a $50 test pressing, and you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't have 50 bucks. I mean, like, I would highly recommend finding $50. Get, call your mom. <laughs> yep, call your to, mom. I'm about to invest $5,000 into something and don't have another $50 to spare. And I don't want to test this thing out first. And I just want to jump into it head first. I have $50 and have the mastering engineer then listen to the test pressing in the last environment in which it was edited. And then if he approves, you say, go for the full run and you're good to go. But I mean, I'm out for your best interest. I don't know about all guys, but I'm out for your best interest. And most of us are. Yeah, no. And, 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 and things like that, like, you know, people just look at it as a dollar amount. They're like, Oh, you know, $50, you know, this is just Matthew trying to squeeze some money out of us. And it's, it's not there. I mean, there is a purpose. I mean, I can tell a personal story. I bought a record, um, this is several years ago, and I don't want to put the band on blast. You know, it's not their fault. Uh, well, technically it is. They didn't get a test press, I guess. But 
there was something wrong with the groove and the way it was pressed. And one of the grooves actually was just like one of those continuous cycles. Huh. So it got stuck in its same groove. And I thought it was just, you know, my copy. Um, and of course it was in a feedback loop, like after a song. So I never noticed it. And the stylus that I had was actually digging into the record because it was just going around and around in the same groove. So I bought another copy of that record and had the same problem. And I put it on three different record players and it's the same problem. It's because they didn't test press it. So the actual stamp itself was bad. Was it, um, was it the last song on that side of the record? Uh, no, no, I think it was like the middle of the, I think it was, uh, I know it was the B side. Um, I'm pretty sure it was like two songs in. So, okay. So something really cool. The Free Piece of Podcast is sponsored by Zipster, specializing in custom websites and local design. You don't have to lift a finger to look cool online. Visit Zipster.com and see what they can do for you. Something that's kind of interesting about the story that you were saying, uh, and the reason why I was wondering if it was the last track of a side, is because uh, you can actually, as as a record... Uh, ends you have a little coil of grooves which will lead to a continuous groove called a lock groove which is in place so that the stylus and cartridge everything doesn't go over onto the paper label of the record and kind of knock around on the center post of the of the turntable and screw up your stylus yeah and and that's and that's what the uh that's what the lock groove is for a lot of people don't know this is you can actually embed audio like a very short, maybe four second clip into that lock groove. And that's what I was thinking was happening is that perhaps it was the end of the record and they took advantage of that. And it's like, I always thought it'd be funny if uh, a band were to put a, uh, like just like a drone or a pad or like applause or something like that, that just goes on forever. Yeah. Maybe it's like, like the wind howling or something like that, or like, the chimes from a porch with crickets in the background. I always thought it'd just be kind of interesting to have something that you would normally like want to experience or not maybe even want to experience on a loop just for kind of a creative effect. Like a song, they say like a country song ends and they're talking about like a night out or whatever the hell. And it like kind of fades out to crickets in the song. And then you essentially play the crickets through the lead out groove and then just have a constant thing of like chimes or something like that. And it's in the, lock groove like you can actually do that a lot of people don't take advantage of that um and it kind of blows people's mind whenever i tell them that um no that's such a neat concept yeah i mean i i've i think i've had records that did that and i didn't realize what it was i just figured you know it was is one of those messed up ones the one i was talking about specifically i know it was a message like as an issue because i actually reached out to the band they were small <laughs> enough where they were cool and responded we're like oh shit my bad <laughs> but um yeah no yeah lockers they're, they're messed up on all of them yeah, no, I think they pressed um, their label. It's a smaller label, but I think they pressed 5,000. Dang. Yeah, and to That's my knowledge, awesome. all of them. I think they did weird um, color variants. So I just had like the standard black. So I know the the standard, you know, the one they printed the, probably the most of had that issue. Hmm. Yikes. Yeah. Man, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a bit of a nightmare. Well, what uh, another one that it something weird happened to and and uh backing up so that issue 
would stem back to the cutting engineer who cut the lacquer acetate. Yeah. Uh, so that has nothing to do with the band or anything. Um, but yes, a test pressing would have, uh, in theory, it would have caught that. Something, however, that a test pressing would have not caught is, unless it's like something that's screwed up on every record, which I don't think this is something that would have screwed up on every record. So the first War on Drugs record, might not be the first one. I have it in this room. I, I don't know what the name of it is. But the first War on Drugs record that like got them like stupid popular. Yeah. They, um, I bought one of their records. I'm looking through it if I sound distant. Yeah. Uh, Lost in the Dream is the one. That one, side A, uh, the last two songs, something happened in the cooling stage of that record. And I don't know if stuff was too hot. And then when they tried to cool it, it was, uh, like it cooled too fast and the press was too hot or something. I don't know, but essentially the last two songs do this and it kind of, and you can kind of tell that it's in like a bit of like a lenticular or like oval shape. Yeah. Uh, so like something is happening with the grooves on there that um, it's not a circle. It's like, you can tell that it's speeding up. So obviously like where it's speeding up has to be the main turn of the oval. Yeah. Uh, so other things that are weird and you probably will not catch that through a test pressing that's a manufacturing error though um so you might catch it but you'd really only catch it if it was like a really big instance and they were running their machine too hot and then it cooled too cold and i mean who knows who, who knows what happens yeah i mean there's so many variants especially like you were talking about with that process being so barbaric you know yeah so just just a random thing, but if I advise a band, which I advise all of them to get test pressings, I'm normally not doing it so I can get free vinyl, as cool as that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Well, that's awesome. Um, let's let's uh, take a little sidestep and go back to you know specifically the business uh, for the record. Um, yeah. How? Because the the name change is pretty recent. That was only a couple months ago, right? Yeah, and I didn't want to do anything super quick and. It's like whenever you bring a business into town, um, you always want to do your research and make sure you're not taking somebody else's name. And I was B-side mastering. I really hated the name, but I was like, whatever. Um, so I did, and I wasn't really known as B-side mastering. And anytime I'd see it anywhere, I'd be like, that's a stupid name. <laughs> <laughs> and I, <laughs> I didn't really like it and I couldn't get behind it. And it wasn't like punny enough. And, I was like, it was literally just something I needed for a credit reel. Yeah. Um, so I had that. And then when I moved from Hilton Head to Charleston, um, I'm originally from Charleston. When I moved back to Charleston, I uh, there was another business in town called B-Side Sessions. And they did uh, in-studio live sessions. And they do an insane job. Their branding was top-notch and everything. And as soon as I looked at everything they had, I'd be like, she, I got to change my name. So, oh yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's, I, 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 it's, it's something when you, you see the bigger dog, it's like, you know, that there's a fight. So like Emery Allen, uh, my little light bulb company, <laughs> um, there is a girl out of, I think Ohio who is an author. Um, her name, her pen name, I don't know if it's her actual name, but her pen name at least is Emery Allen. And I was like, screw you. That's my middle name and my dad's name. And I like the name. I'm totally going for it. Yeah. And it's like, 
knew at some point I'd be a bigger dog. And she took up, she had all the SEO and everything. And the way that I SEO my business is, is good enough to where I had her kick off the top spot within six months. And it's like, I knew it was worth the fight. And I knew that she couldn't come after me. And just in case she did, I registered everything as an LLC. And, but I essentially did everything to tank her as like aggressive as it sounds, but it's, I really don't care. It's the world of business. And if you don't like it, then figure it out figure something else out. Yeah. That's just the world we live in, to be honest, you know? Yeah. So I know how to do it and I took it over. And now I think it's, she might be like the last thing on the first page. It might be her Instagram account. Um, I mean, it is what it is. I have nothing against her, but it's like, sorry, it's my middle name and my dad's middle name. And we wanted to start a company and I believe in it and I'm willing to fight for it. So it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's to a point of how much you want it. And I didn't really give a shit about B side mastering. Um, and I changed the name and I picked up a couple along the way and I was like, I don't really know. And then it probably took me about a year of just like randomly thinking and milling around. And then I was saying for the record a lot and I was like, that'd be kind of funny. And I was like, the only thing that turned me off about it is that Dave Matthews and a couple other people have a label called ATR, which is according to our records, which is super cool. Yeah. Uh, it's ATO records according to our records. And I didn't really want that to like do a bad thing with it or like I didn't want it to take away from anything they had going on. <laughs> like I would ever be big enough to. Be that. <laughs> hey, hey, you got to dream big, right? That's it. So um, I didn't want to like take away from that or people be like, oh, you're just copying that. But for the record, I thought it was punny enough and play on words and it really said what I'm about and as something I could get behind and I feel passionate about it. So I did that and I hired a local guy to help me with my branding and I might have him help me out with my website a bit. Um, just cause I really, I'm managing one website and I really don't care about like the mastering one besides just updating and for SEO st stuff. And, uh, besides that, it doesn't really matter to me. And I'd rather have something that was kind of custom made by people in town and people besides me take pride in it. And, I mean, owning retail businesses before and having people take pride in your business and to be like a uh, like a super fan almost of like your business yeah. is like incredibly important and to get behind stuff and they're posting stuff and I'm posting stuff. We're tagging each other and it's like a thing. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, the money that is, that's exchanging hands for the service is almost just like doesn't even really matter at that point because you're creating community like and that's the thing you have to like see everything as a chance to create community not like giving or taking but like creating and so like because i'm like advertising pretty much local and i do some like out-of-state jobs every now and then but like i just get behind the scene here so much that it's like i will like if you offer a service and i can use you i want to find a way to use your service because I want you to be in business as long as I'm in business. Not like, oh, if I'm out of business, you're out of business. But like, if I'm in business, I want to do whatever I can to support your business. So, because I know how hard it is to run a small business. Um, yeah, and I'm sure you appreciate it when people invested in you and wanted to see you succeed too. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've also like, like not to take like a Gary Vaynerchuk quote, I think again, I might've mentioned it, but um I've, I've, how, how far into swearing can you go on this podcast? Oh, absolutely no limits. Okay. 
I've fucked up a lot. And, <laughs> like, I've gotten into my fair share of stuff and I've tanked it a bit. But it's like, the thing is, like, Gary V, he's like, dude, I'd rather take a quick loss every day and learn from it. And that make me a better person and a better businessman tomorrow. And it's like, I'd rather, he's like, he's so into it. He's like, I don't think you understand how much I love losing. He's like, losing teaches you so much and failure teaches you so much that like, why would you not want to lose? Because by winning, the only thing you're learning is how to win. It's like, if my little guy's ever in sports and he gets a participation trophy, I'm going to be like, dude, we're taking this to the freaking trash. And we're going to like, you need to learn how to lose. Because you, so much character gets built from losing and from sucking at something. Yeah, absolutely. Like if he sucks at baseball or soccer or whatever the heck he wants to get into, it'd be like, listen, you didn't win. And while that may be okay, we're going to learn why it's okay to not win because you learn more from not winning than you do from winning. The only thing you learn from winning is how to keep doing what you're doing. But like from losing, you learn so much more and you learn about yourself and everything. And you don't really ever learn how to apply, like, like you can apply different strategies to winning, but why not just keep running the same plays? If they're going to keep working, why not keep running them? Yeah, so it's like, I mean, absolutely. And, and and when you run into that, like, I think, you know, to be honest, like, you, you can lose every day and not learn, you know, a damn thing. Uh, plenty of people do it all the time. Yeah. Um, but when you have that type of like growth mindset of like, I, I want to learn, I want to, I want to learn how, how to be good at it. I think that's such a neat idea, especially specifically talking about the sports thing. You know, what, what happens when your kid loses at baseball, he's either going to figure out how to get better at baseball or he's going to find another sport that he's good at. Yeah. And that he actually cares about and wants to invest his time into, you know? Yeah. And, and I think, yeah. I think people miss that point so much. Yeah. It's, it's so right on. And you have to be willing to take like every single L and just be like, this is how it's going to turn into a win and eventually it's going to turn into a win and eventually I'm going to figure out what I want to do and how I want to do it. And I'll tell you one thing, while I have learned from good leaders, I have never learned anything like more important from a good leader than what I have learned from a bad leader. Bad leaders teach you so much because they suck so bad. Yeah. And it's like at the, the, the military college I went to, they're like, we're a leadership laboratory. It's like, no, you're not. You're just a place full of really bad leaders <laughs> who was at like the height of their game, like senior in high school, top dog. And then you just gave him rank or no, you beat him down for a year and then you gave him rank over the people who he can beat down the next year. You want to learn about bad leadership? Take a hard look at that. And he's also 19 years old. It's like you want to take a bad look at leadership that's what you do. That's a leadership laboratory. I learned more from bad leadership than I ever learned from good leadership. Yeah. You learn from looking at parents who you think are bad parents and like, I'm not going to raise my kid like that until you have a kid that acts like that. And you're like, dang, I was too hard. <laughs> that person. So it's like, you don't know, you have no idea. So, but it's like in terms of wins and losses, every loss, like as much as it sucks, it's like, be reflective in that and own the crap out of it. And like, as hard as it is, be proud of that loss. Cause like, you're not always going to lose and you might need to teach someone else how to lose at some point. And I'm trying to learn how to be a good loser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, so, you know, so I, I'm, I'm constantly like, you know, anytime 
I'm pretty bad about, you know, not being, um, I, I don't take compliments really well. Like if, if somebody comes and records with me or does anything like that, they're like, oh man, you know, this shit sounds so good. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It could sound so much better as in it should, as in I need to keep pushing myself to make it better, you know? Yeah. I mean, at that point though, that's like at a point where you just have to say, like, you just have to say, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And it's like, whether you be- like, there's there's no bigger critic out there of myself than myself. Yeah, and absolutely. I think you and I are kind of like on that same wave- wavelength for what you just said. And not that you're a big critic of me, but that you're a big, you're your biggest critic. And it's, uh, yeah, that you're always going to be your, your most, like, you're going to have like the worst look on things. You're like, no, this could be way better. But it's like someone taking a look at it with fresh ears. I mean, it'd be like, wow, this is incredible. Like, thank you so much for doing this. And just having the ability to offer that service for somebody and to get somebody's like emotion or whatever out onto like into a DAW and just so they can take it around and play it in the car or share it to your friends. I mean, like we have no idea the type of like joy that brings somebody. And just because we could have made it better, um, we could have had that better converter or that better whatever, but it's like, we all have no idea the joy that it brings when people actually say, thank you for doing that. Thank you for putting that together. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's, that's kind of cool. So while we're hard on ourselves, my wife's like, you know, you really just, you need to like actually look at what you're doing and you are doing a good job and I am proud of you and you should be proud of yourself. And it's, it takes a hard look to kind of realize that sometimes, but I'm starting to be proud of what I do, but I'm like, don't get me wrong. I'm still always like, I could always do better. <laughs> if I only had this piece of gear, I could do this better. So, but that's, that's all of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and speaking of that, I think that that's a really good transition into the next question is, um, not that this entire podcast hasn't been full and, you know, riddled with advice, but what advice would you specifically give to up and coming like uh, uh, like folks thinking about either doing something in music or specifically mastering. When I was a um, practicing pilot, I think I might have already said this. Uh, either said it in this podcast already, or in the podcast I was just in with Sam. <laughs> they, they kind of blended together, in all honesty. That's um, what happens when you do like three hours of podcasting. Yeah, I started at I started at four today, so right now it's it's almost eight. Oh gosh, yeah. Um, so, but it's all good. I, I, I love what I do. Um, what I would say is that when I was a pilot, there was a saying that when you stop learning, you start dying. And um, what you're not teaching yourself is harming yourself. So always be learning, always practicing your craft, always like, even if it's just like something silly, like going through like the movements of like what you would do if you had a project or just record something. There's plenty of things out there to where people can give you free tracks and you can just practice if it's mastering, mixing, whatever, like always just be practicing. Um, so because of that, I will say, and there's a great quote from a guy in Australia named Tony Mance. Yeah, uh, he says that uh, cream rises to the top and shit sinks. 
<laughs> and it's it's so true. And it's like the only reason that you're going to get better at what you do is because you keep practicing and you keep learning and you keep sinking your teeth into it. And what I'll also say is something else that Tony Mant says is that um, there is enough work out there for any everybody. And that's something that every single person who wants to get into any type of work needs to know is that just because like the river seems dry, it's not. People just do not know about you. Figure out who your targeted market is and market to them. And like seriously, like go grab a beer or whatever and just sit down or several beers and figure out who your targeted market is. Like who do you want to market to and paint with a broad brush and then narrow that down. Once you figure out who you want to market to, then figure out how to market to them. And like there is work out there, but you will have to prove yourself. But there is enough work out there for everybody. So that, that's so that's, awesome. I think, I, I you know, out of like 60 something episodes, I'm pretty sure that's the first time I've heard that specific piece of advice. What's that? The, the, there's enough work out there. Dude, seriously. Whether you're like, and that goes, that, that spans like, you could have zoned out everywhere else in this podcast, but if you're an artist, <laughs> if you're like a painter, if you're like a cook, if you're whoever in a creative field, there is enough work out there. While everything else is getting sucked up by robots, even freaking mastering is getting sucked up by robots. Yeah. But the thing is, is like, I mean, Brad Blackwood knocked like the nail on the head when he's like, yeah, but if you send, what I want to know is if you send a mastered track to Lander and Lander masters it, and then you throw it back through Lander again, will it say, this is already mastered? Or will it be like, here's a new master and it will sound different? Is that really mastering? Yeah. So I think Brad hit the nail on the head and that's my, like my answer for Lander, but robots are taking up everything, but it's like in terms of something that evokes some type of emotion through one of our senses, which is typically art, there is enough work out there. And I believe there will always be enough work out there. You just have to search out your target market. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I love that. All right. So, uh, we, we made it. Over an hour and 15 minutes, and I That's think it. We, we've only mentioned it a couple times, but please tell me all about yours and Sam's podcast, for those okay. that don't know. So, uh, I guess I'll kind of get on the whole mentorship, too. So, Sam Moses, uh, he runs Moses Mastering in Nashville, and he is quite possibly one of the most humble, like fantastic humans I have ever met. And I've only met him once, and I met him back in December, and we've been... We've been talking for probably close to a year and a half, and uh, he is one of my closest friends. He is one of my best friends in mastering and probably one of my best friends in general, and we can talk about just about anything. Um, I saw that he was offering a mentorship, and I said, hey, if it wouldn't be a conflict of interest for you, would you mind mentoring another mastering engineer? I didn't really care about like. W- like his signal flow or anything else it's like that's that's personal to each of us absolutely and, um i don't want to take anything away from anybody or use someone else's method and i like the way i did stuff and not in a cocky way and it's like i think i have something to offer in the way that i do it but it's like i wanted to tighten up my customer service and i wanted to be a better servant for people yeah. so i wanted to be able to serve people better and specifically my clients so I hired Sam and we did a six month mentorship together 
And he normally does a lot more in-depth than what he did with me. Um, but just like being able to have community with another mastering engineer was fantastic. And if you're on the fence about, and you're in music and you're on the fence about doing a mentorship, go to mosesmastering.com and just hit him up. He is one of the nicest, most gracious people I've ever met. And uh, essentially towards the end of our mentoring, or my mentoring, um, it was last October, I said, and I threw the whole mentorship, I'd be like, you know, I just really feel like it's being placed on my heart to do a podcast again, because I originally did a podcast when I had a cigar store, it's called Blowing Smoke, and um, I had so much fun doing it, but I hate editing. Um, I had so much fun doing it, and I was like, I really want to get into this again, and not that like my voice needs to be heard, but I was like, I feel like there's just like a community of people that like, and no one is serving this community. And so we're like, let's go into demystifying what mastering is. And uh, so we came up with like a bunch of names and started recording episodes. I think even the first episode is recorded without a name to it. And I think I was just looking at a compressor on my desk. And I was like, let's just for the time being call it the Attack and Release Show. And so that's uh, that name stuck. And I was just looking at the Attack and Release times on the compressor. And that's yeah. how I came up. And so, in all honesty, we just started talking and we started talking about all this stuff no one else is talking about. And our big thing was like, let's try to like talk about all the taboo stuff that like no one else is really even touching on. And it's like, I'm pulling up the like the episode listings right now. Um, so it's like the we, we, we came out with three on January 15th of 2018. And it was, the first one was on torrented software. Nobody talks about cracked software. It's like, everyone's just talking about gear. It's like, who cares? It doesn't need to be another gear podcast. The second one, you are worth more, is saying that you are not charging enough. If you are offering a service for, like, you are providing a service for people, the chances are you are not valuing yourself at what you're actually worth. And so we're telling people, you are worth more than what you're charging. And, and, and now I have to interject there because I, I, you know, I'm not trying to brown nose or humble brag on you or anything like that. But I, seriously, that episode, you don't have to put it in context of music at all. I think I sent that to probably ten or fifteen different people that have something to do with like you know the arts community. Yeah, and and that's just that grinding the home, especially like you know Sam specifically talking about doubling your rates. Yep, dude, it's so bold too because it's like. People in Nashville totally charge what I charge, and Sam just doubled what I charge. And it's just like, he's like, yeah, but I figured, <laughs> it's, so, it's so silly. He's like, I figure, even if I lose half my clients, I still make the same amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, when you think about it that way, you're absolutely right. So Sam, he's such a bold dude, and he's so fantastic. And it's like, I, I hate that we live so far away. I feel like we'd be really good drinking buddies. Um, but if you ever... Uh, hire Sam for anything or just be like email him or something it'll be one of the like best times you'll have that week so he will he will make your day so the third one we did was on auto mastering services and it kind of catered more towards like the music community and we tried to not like really even on some of them we try to not even touch on mastering it's just like things it's like take care of yourself number four is invest in yourself first and we're like, how do you invest in yourself? And then five really got back on the mastering about analog versus digital, the like a time old 
like <laughs> like thing and then it's like okay well what if we do what is mastering and then seven we split into two episodes how to submit a mix for mastering um and then like one of our biggest episodes how to get clients if that's not clickbait i don't know what is in all caps too <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then you got into the art of listening and like not just music but how to like listen in a relationship and to clients and then we got into heavy 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 stuff and like the loudness units full scale and normalization and how spotify does that and then we went into spotify and how we believe they're devaluing music and then how to pick a mastering engineer and so and it's like i'll tell you one thing and this is i don't know whenever this will be released it probably this probably won't be released but i don't know will this be released before next wednesday yeah yeah it's coming on monday so get ready for wednesday (laughs) (laughs) so wednesday is probably my favorite episode we've ever done it's on and it might be a little late for the year i don't know but it's how to market yourself in 2018 as a person and as a business because as an entrepreneur you are like you're more than like you are the brand matthew garber is the brand yeah for the record mastering and so it's like it's just like you need to know how to do that and it's also like kind of a freebie episode that we can like tie it into like the like the following years of how to market in 2019 2020 so it's a, it's like it's like the free space and bingo uh, <laughs> so we do that and then we're like doing like a bunch of uh we're bringing like a bunch of people on who are like been in the mastering business for a while we call them like legacy mastering engineers and it's like brad blackwood we brought in and it's like this guy's freaking credit list is insane. Like Backstreet Boys, yeah, he did it. It's like uh, blah, 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 Maroon Five, he did it. Jane's Addiction, he did it. It's like go to Euphonic Masters and look up his credit list, and it is insane. Um, he's the one of the only mastering engineers to win a Grammy Award for mastering. So it's like he's like in freaking insane. Yeah, it's like we try to do that, and we try to add like. This, this value to things and I just uh, <laughs> I've been talking with this one guy from a company that I'm not going to say then we're going to have them sponsor an episode because there was an episode on room acoustics and monitoring that we didn't uh, we didn't touch on something because we didn't really believe in like a style of doing something some way and I'm obviously being vague for a reason yeah. we had a ton of people be like yo you should you didn't talk about this and we're all doing this and it was like a lot of people so I reached out to the company and was like, hey, uh, we have a lot of people doing this. Can we use your product and then have you possibly be on the show? And they're totally going to put somebody on the show from their company talking about their product that our people want to hear about. And we're going to like add value. Like even, I can't even tell you how awesome this episode is going to be. There's so much into this episode. Um, that's going to air sometime around Thanksgiving. And we're like marketing it like so appropriately so at least i hope so so oh no we'll, we'll be talking about that after this episode uh, is done recording <laughs> i don't know uh, so but I, we have like yeah marketing is coming out so you're listening to this on monday wednesday on september 12th at 10 a.m eastern time marketing in 2018 is coming out it is my favorite episode we have recorded episode 21 um and then comes like the one like that like no one's gonna want to listen to is on the twenty sixth that's on entitlement. And it's like why you are technically entitled to like not even like listening to this podcast. 
So it's like, it's kind of like, it's kind of a dick podcast, but it's like why you're not entitled to anything and how you should use that to your benefit so that you can grow your business appropriately and in a humble way so you're not taking advantage of people. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a podcast that nobody's going to want to listen to, but almost everyone needs to. Yeah, and I mean, every... I mean, every podcast has between 700 and 1,000 downloads, um, so which is really cool. Like The earlier ones have like about 1,500. Our current metrics right now, we are like uh, 50-something, 50 53 downloads shy of 20,000. Which is insane. And, That's so awesome for you guys. Thank you. And we're like uh, on the 15th will be nine months that so we've been live or eight months we've been live. Yeah. So we're averaging about 2,800, 2,900 downloads per month. So it's like, it's taking off and we're starting to reach out to people being like, Hey, is there a non douchey way that we can like have you sponsor an episode? And like, how can we add value through you being a sponsor? Like besides like us contacting Sweetwater, be like, Hey, you want to give us money for saying your name a lot? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. Like, how can we have you add value to our podcast, which will add value to our listeners? And how can like, like seriously, like how can we make this a community without being like smearing your name, like Budweiser in the Super Bowl? Like, how can we do this? Yeah. I mean, that, that's the, that's something we've had to deal with a lot. You know, we've only actually taken on one official sponsor, but we, we've had several requests. We've reached out to a lot of people and, you know, just a lot of them don't make sense. You know, with what we're putting out, what we're doing, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't seem value adding other than they're getting their name out and, you know, potentially we would be getting money. That's because nobody has any creativity on how to do it. Yeah. So it's a, uh, it's really cool, and we're just trying to be original. We want to come out with merch, and <laughs> but it's like merch, like it works, and it's like I don't know, like it, we're gonna totally put it out to our customer base, be like, would you be interested in this? And it's like our logo is like a vacuum tube. My wife designed it, and our logo, our logo is like a vacuum tube, and. <laughs> I brought it up to Sam and Sam's like, no, dude, we're not making this merch. <laughs> That'd be really funny if we had a shirt that said, show me your tubes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to do it. <laughs> oh. I don't know, we might. It depends on how gritty you want to do it. But it's like, I don't know. You have giveaways. and You do like enamel pins are really big for some reason. So it's like you might do that. You might do... Uh, I don't know. People love stickers or something or shirts or I don't know. You put like a lot of tubes on a sock or something. Call them tube socks. So it's like there's a freebie. <laughs> so that's like the thing, though, is like you, if you can evoke that type of like laughter and emotion out of it, it's like that's the response that you want. And so long as you leave people laughing and kind of like shaking their head at like how goofy you are, they'll invest in it. So it's like a thing. Absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so we're excited about it. Yeah. Black yeah, no, I can't, I can't wait for that. And, and yeah, especially watching you guys grow and everything. I, I can't even remember how I found it. I know I found Sam on Instagram um, because he had mastered something and I was interested in it. And then I just follow, I started following him and he, yeah, he's such a like inspiring dude. Like just on his internet, just his internet presence is, is such a big deal. So shout out Sam, if you're listening to that. Um, um I have to force Sam to listen to how much <laughs> him up. Yeah. If you don't know Sam Moses, you're doing life wrong. 
Absolutely. And, and yeah, as soon as I started listening to your podcast, because he, I think it was back in January when you guys were first starting to do it. Because I remember I listened to the very first episodes, like as they were coming out. That's and awesome. I was just blown away. I was like, nobody's doing this. Mm. You know, I, I listen to a bunch of podcasts when, you know, when I'm at my day job and it's just, you don't hear that. You know, you don't hear people talking about the things you guys are covering. Like there's, there's a million different recording or audio engineer podcast and everybody's like yeah this is how you place a microphone i'm going to tell you about it over a podcast you know which is kind of weird <laughs> when my podcast sounds like donk <laughs> but it, it obviously doesn't sound like i know how to place a microphone here's how to do it yeah yeah <laughs> exactly yeah oh yeah some of those podcasts sound terrible and it's like why am i why am i listening to you do this when it doesn't sound like you know what you're doing but yeah, I, I can't thank you guys enough specifically, just personally. Like, I, I love every episode. I make sure I listen to them as, you know, try to listen to them as they come out. So it's really cool what you guys are doing. That's overly nice of you. I really appreciate it. I just wanted to, I'd like, when you're like, hey, let's talk about the podcast, I'm like, I'm just going to talk about Sam and say nice things until he's <laughs> listening to this, until he, like, just turns red. <laughs> yeah. And, like, bashful. That's what I want. Hopefully. That's what so, we're going for, right? That's it. So it's a, uh, yeah, he's a fantastic mastering engineer. If you need anything mastered, have it mastered by Sam. Um, he predominantly operates in rap, hip hop, trap. He likes hard metal too. I'm not the biggest hard metal fan, but I will, I'll take a stab at it. Um, I, it's, I don't really do a lot of it, but I'd love to take it on. Um, it's a, uh, I, I find it a little more challenging and I don't know why I don't know if, but it's like recently I've done a lot of rock. Uh -huh. So it's like, I, I might just be intimidating maybe because people are yelling. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that. Yeah. I, I was actually going to ask you about that. Cause I see a lot of like, uh, like more rock oriented or like indie rock stuff kind of, kind of coming out of your feet. Dude, you know, what's my jam. I love psychedelic weird stuff. I don't know why there's like this psychedelic resurgence in Charleston and it's like people are doing it in such an awesome raw raw way. Say that ten times fast. <laughs> it's like it's incredible, and I, I can't get enough of it. But then recently, it's just been a lot of rock. Um, you have uh, there's a couple things that are rocky about uh, an album I did for a band called Thompson Falk, uh, Human Resources. They like I don't know how they advertise, but they had within the first month like. 150,000 downloads of their album on Spotify. That's insane. It's crazy. I was like, man, if this was, if this was 20 years ago, y'all be millionaires right now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if uh, Spotify didn't value your music, you should listen to that podcast. You, you guys would have a lot of money right now. Yeah. Um, but with, uh, yeah, their album is awesome. It's kind of like a dance rock album. Um, one album that I love that came out, uh, Rare Creatures self-titled album. It's their first album. Coleman, like, he seems so serious when he's singing and playing and everything. But I went up to him at the after the show and I was like, dude, you can't take like I can't take you seriously. I've listened to your songs more, more than you have, and I know how serious these songs are and how serious you want to sing them. But you're freaking smiling while you're singing these serious lyrics. <laughs> I can't take you seriously. Like you're so proud of what you've done. Yeah. That, like, you're having a hard time like evoking that like serious emotion. So it's just, it's just funny and I love it. And it's such a cool process. And I'm just, I'm just proud of a, like a lot of these guys and what they're able to do. And 
I mean, the craziest thing too is like you like everyone's like, oh, gear this, gear that. And some of the best stuff that comes out of Charleston does not leave the box. Like once it's in the box, it does not leave. Yeah, and it's like some of the most inspiring things about what you're able to do inside of a computer. And it's like it was recorded in like a freaking back room of like a furniture store. And it's just like, or people are recording in storage units and stuff here. And like the scene here is so incredible and people are so behind it. And I'm, I'm really excited to see it keep growing. Some people are being negative and that's what like our podcast was about tonight about how toxic negativity is. Yeah. Um, and it's like, if people are being toxic, don't even give them the freaking time of day. You just keep plowing on and I mean, screw them. It's like, they're going to be left in their own dust and I'm here to build stuff and I'm just going to plow you down, like straight up being honest. Um, I'm just going to be like a freaking, and I, I am a cynical person. Like I'm, I'm a very doubting person. My shit sniffer is always on 10 and it's like, <laughs> Because it's like, dude, there's so many people out there every day trying to screw you on stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, while I am cynical, if you're passionate and you love what you do, you cannot have negativity. You need to surround yourself with positivity all the freaking time. You need to be listening to audiobooks, reading books, podcasts, whatever. Just that 100% all the time deploy positivity. And if you're in a really shitty situation, too in a really negative situation, you need to, you need to multiply that by 10 and everything you consume on the inside has to completely combat everything you're taking in on the outside. And it's just, it, it, it just is what it is. And I mean, that's <laughs> awesome. Sorry. It's like, I'm going to freaking run you over if you're negative. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's true. It's like, you can't get in the way of like the positive thing that's happening here. You will not be a part of it if you are negative. You want to be a part of it and claim that you are a part of something, but it, you're complaining about like the restrictions you have, the whole Gary Vaynerchuk thing. If you complain within the first 30 seconds of opening your mouth, you've already lost. So it's like, oh, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. No one cares. Just do it. It's like I could have complained in my room when I first got my room that it's not the right dimensions, and I did. I didn't set up my rig for three months. Then I was like, maybe I can stop being a little whiny bitch and just put something <laughs> up and just try it and just see what people say and just do a little bit of guerrilla marketing. I'm not paying for marketing. And you just interact with people and you be a human and you go to shows. I'm going to a show literally in one hour. It's 8 p.m. right now. I'm going to a show in one hour. So the podcast has to end soon. Yeah. Everyone on the other end is like, Jesus, it's lasting long. I'm going to a <laughs> podcast in an hour for a guy who was in a band that I mastered his album. And he's now in another band. And I'm going to buy him a $2 beer. And I'm so excited to buy him this $2 beer and tell him how much he killed it on stage because he's an awesome dude. And I can't wait to see like the conversation that we have about music. That's yeah. the scene here. It's like, the show could be complete shit. I don't know, but I'm going to encourage the trash out of him because I really love what he does. And it's crazy, and it's psychedelic, and it's like actually a psychedelic genre. And it's just no one else is doing it. It's so creative and like beautiful. Yeah, that's absolutely. So, and it's like, if you're not positive, get the fuck out of the way because it's going to run you over. Oh, what? I mean, I, I wish more people had that mindset. And I, I wish I had more of it. 
it's like once again quoting like Gary V on this stuff. He like he took a glass of like he there's this thing on his Instagram. He took a glass of water at a meeting. And he's like, people don't know what to do with this. Like, it's a full glass of water. He's like, people don't know what to do with this. They see this glass, like, and they still see it as empty. And it's, like, full to the freaking top. And he pours it on the ground. He's like, I don't care about this carpet. And he, like, <laughs> takes it. He, like, pours the drop that's still in it. And he's like, I can turn this little drop, and I know exactly what to do with it. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know exactly what he'd do with it. But I'll tell you, it would not be anything if he was negative about it. And if there was any ounce of negativity about it, and it's like, I know I could get 10 times further with positivity than I ever could with negativity and just whining and complaining about it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, so it's like, yeah, I just, I can't recommend his stuff enough and his outlook. And as soon as you start looking with a positive light on things, stuff will change. Like your life will change the way you look at life will change. Like you'll be healthier. You'll be like, it just... I don't know. Maybe it's just me coming out of summer into fall, the season that I love. Who knows? But I'm just, uh, you have to deploy in an, like a gross amount of positivity. And I, and this is coming from a very not positive person. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I love it, man. Well, yeah, I know you got to get to that show. So let's wrap up a little bit. Um, where can people find you if they decide not to go to Sam and master, they want to master with you. <laughs> so if you don't choose Sam, which is possibly the wrong answer, and you want to <laughs> me, I'm just playing. I would absolutely love to take on any project. I, mean, I feel absolutely honored when anyone sends me any work. Um, so you can find me at for the record mastering.com. I think my stuff is, uh, I started my SEO in May, so it might be maybe on the first page of Google, but I would just type in for the record mastering.com. You can find me on Facebook. I think it's just Matthew Garber, like Facebook backslash Matthew Garber. It's like me and like everybody's grandma on Facebook now. Oh, yeah. Or you can go to the main way. I suck at email. Don't email me. Um, but if you find me on Instagram, it's literally just the at for the record mastering. And I mean, my thing says Matthew Garber. And seriously, just follow me. And like the best thing about DMs is that if you shoot someone a DM, 99% of the time they manage their own account, even if it's like a pretty big celebrity. Because they're wanting to like they're wanting to be a person and like show like all the junk that they're doing in the world. So if you DM someone, they might not respond. I DM Elon Musk. I know for a fact it goes to his phone. I think that's kind of novel. Um, yeah. But on his like on one of his Falcon launches or something like that, I was like, hey, man, congratulations. Glad someone's starting back up this space thing. And it's like, can't wait to see you go to Mars or something like that. Yeah. Never got back to me, but it's like the novelty that that went to Elon Musk's phone is pretty fantastic. The reason I know it goes to his phone is because everything he posts is in like his voice and like yeah. kind of like this condescending like <laughs> that he has, this dark humor. Yeah. So. It's just, I love it. So yeah, I highly recommend Instagram. So, but yeah, fortherecordmastering.com if you want to hear anything I've done. Um, I try to keep it updated. I'm not the best at it. This month is a stupid book too, so I don't know when I'll be able to update it. Maybe at night or something. Yeah, which, um, hey, that's fine. Yeah, you've always I, been really responsible when I hit you up on Instagram, so I, I can vouch for that. 
There was this guy in Canada. We were talking about the Neve MBP that I have, and he was looking at getting one. And um, we were talking on Instagram for like, I think until 1230 last night. And I was like, dude, I got to go to bed. Like, I got to take a shower. (laughs) (laughs) But we were talking probably for about two hours back and forth. Yeah. My wife wasn't feeling good. She went to bed and I was like, okay, let's see who's talking. And it's like, I might take a little while, but I'll talk with you and I'll nerd out. And if you want to, like any any way, if you want to communicate, it's like let's let's do it. It's yeah, like, that's I'm awesome. All about creating community. That's what this is about. So let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. And so now we know where to contact you for your mastering. Where can people listen to your podcast? Um, the best way to listen to the podcast is just on iTunes. Um, that's where we direct everyone to. Just under podcast, just go to the Attack and Release Show, and um, if you want to leave us a review, I would appreciate it. We have 20, as of like last, this weekend, we had 23 five-star reviews and we were very proud of it with tons of people commenting and everything. And we have a really getaway of recording our audio, but it sounds <laughs> really, really good. And I am pretty proud of it and people are really digging it. And I think it'd be, I think it's kind of irresponsible if a mastering engineer has really crappy audio. So I hope my voice sounds good, but this is it does. A it, I, I can promise you, it sounds a lot better than this podcast is going to because we're doing it via Skype. So, <laughs> Matthew actually threw a microphone; sounds much better. I promise. I sound more pretty. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, the Attack and Release show. You can hear um, what Sam and I at least believe that you should do with audio, and yeah, we are super proud of it, and it's going to keep growing. And we're trying to not let any episode lapse. We post every other week um, and we record every week. So hopefully we can create a little bit of a backlog of episodes and I review them while I'm mowing my grass and it's all good. Yeah. Which is awesome. Oh yeah. Well, dude, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I think, um, I think there's plenty of advice for everybody that could possibly listen to it. Sweet man, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been like an absolute honor to like people being like, "Can I interview you?" It's like, "Why? Wow, I haven't done anything." <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. You've done. You put. You put out some pretty awesome records. Uh, I, I highly encourage anybody to go to your website. You know, fortherecordmastering.com and, and check out some of that catalog. I appreciate it. It's actually like the mixing in town is so fantastic. Like. Um, I can't shout out enough to like coast records in town. If you're in Charleston, you want to track, look up Matt Zutel on coast records. He has an awesome setup and he's on, he's like 100% in the box and I cannot believe the work that he does. Just look up like people who produce in town and they'll just blow your like socks off. But coast records, I can't put enough like promo to, he sends me so much freaking work that I feel like I owe this plug to him. So you owe the plug and a couple beers, right? I sponsored you, Matt, on another <laughs> podcast. So that's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. So it's like his mixing is so fantastic. I can't wait to see what happens. And uh, but yeah, just in all honesty, keep your ear to the Charleston scene. I can't wait to keep doing it. And I am so honored and like humbled that I am a part of it. So um, yeah. If you're, if you want to be in it, just come. There is enough work. Like seriously, 
I like I kind of shut my doors a little bit in August because I had a lot of stuff going on, a lot of traveling for business and stuff, and a lot of family stuff and whatnot. But and I opened my doors on Tuesday of this week, so the fourth. And I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven projects for September right now. That's awesome. That's it's that's stupid. so awesome. It's stupid. So it's like, and it's like it's not e- that's not even counting like prospects. That's not bragging. It's just telling you. Charleston has so much freaking work that not enough people can handle it. Don't be a mastering engineer here, but come here and do something. <laughs> yeah, don't take money out of your pockets, but yeah. for sure, so, come make some music. Seriously, if you're on the fence, just do it. It's like, if it doesn't work, go take a stupid job somewhere else. But it's like, it, like if you're just kind of in like a chill part of your life, just make the freaking move or do something and just be positive about it and just trust the process. Yeah, so. that's awesome. I love that, man. Yeah, bud. So I'll stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're totally fine. Well, thank you again, Matthew. It's been a, a, a true honor. I appreciate it, man. Dude, thank you so much. Awesome. And enjoy your show, okay? Oh, I always do. <laughs> All right, later, man. See you, bud.